Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free whilst lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Locum Story. Have you ever considered a different way of practicing medicine? Whether you are burned out, need a change of pace, or are looking to supplement your income, Locum Tenens might be a solution for you. If you're considering Locum Tenens either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two or 20. Fortunately, Locum Story has the answers you need. It is packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians just like you. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information where you'll find all kinds of super handy tools that let you see Locum's trends for your specialty. Be able to compare it with different Locum's agencies and there's even a quiz to help decide if Locum's is right for you. The Locum Story blog also features content and perspectives from actual Locum's physicians who have firsthand Locum's experience. LocumStory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about Locum. So everyone, make sure to check out LocumStory.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the slashing your taxes side of that formula. And our next guest is an attorney, but not just any attorney. He is a tax attorney. I don't think we've had that on the show before. So I'm looking forward to having him on. He is a founding partner of Anderson Law Group and uh, certainly has focused a lot on trying to put together common sense tax and legal strategies for his clients and looking forward to learning more about what he's doing. He is an author of a book called Infinity Investing, How the Rich Get Richer and How You Can Do the Same. Please help me welcome Toby Mathis to the show. Welcome, Toby. Hey, Dave. Thank you very, very much for having me. Yeah, buddy. Glad to, to have you here and connect for a little bit and, and learn more about you. Um, before we get into all the, the great tax strategies and, and different ways that people can help save money on taxes, would love to know more about your journey. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up between uh, actually Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, actually a place called Media, and uh, moved out to Washington. So I uh, was in Seattle, the Seattle area for the better part of 25 years. And now I'm down in Las Vegas, been down here for 15 years. I think it's been 15 years, which makes me almost a native. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so kind of kind of been on both coasts and uh, you get a little bit of flavor of uh, how diverse the, the country is and how everybody looks at things differently. So I've been, I think, about as far east as you can go and uh, up to the northwest. And now I'm in a desert. Go figure. Well, before too long, the northwest is turning into a desert with all the heat <laughs> they've had out there. It was interesting. I lived in the Northwest myself for a few years, and now I'm in, in Minnesota in the middle of the, the country. And, um, you know, what I miss about the Northwest is all of the, the uh, different kinds of foods that you could get, you know, within an arm's reach. Indian food, teriyaki, you know, like you name it, like they, they have it <laughs> available out there. I suppose Vegas is the same though, huh? 
Yeah, we've ship everything in, you know, but uh, I will say this uh, for Seattle is your seafood pretty much rocks. You can get fresh everything. You're, you're, you know, you're just right there getting everything in from Alaska on the whole coast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I mentioned that you are a tax attorney. I don't imagine that's, that's something you grew up saying, gosh, one day when I grow up, I want to be a tax attorney. How did that happen? Yeah, no. Uh, I'm one of those guys that probably wouldn't have gone to college, except at the time I was a soccer player and somebody said, hey, come play here. So I was like, okay. I got out of college, you know, after my undergraduate degree and I went and worked with a, with a kind of a mentor. It was a, a friend of mine's dad and I ended up working with that family and we just had a hard time dealing with lawyers. So the dad kind of said, you guys ought to go to school. You guys got to become lawyers so we don't have to deal with lawyers anymore. So, uh, off we went. And uh, there's a, it's kind of an interesting thing when you go into the, into law with the idea that you're not really going to practice law. And I just wanted to be a business uh, attorney or just a business person. I didn't even care about the attorney part. And what I realized when I got out and I'll just, I'll keep it really short, but I was in the, you know, hanging out my shingle first day phase, which most people don't do, but I just said, Hey, I didn't come here to become a, a corporate attorney and, you know, work 80 hours a week and do all that fun stuff. I came here to, to be independent. And you realize just how much horrible information's out there and how the people that were uh, in the knowledge realm, like the CPAs and the other uh, tax attorneys, they would really speak down to you and they'd make you feel dumb and they'd make you feel lost. And this is before you could just Google things. So, you know, so you didn't really have a place to go to try to get educated so you could tell whether or not you really were dumb or whether they were just making you feel that way. And now you can, you can kind of verify, like, whoopsie, yeah, I am dumb. No, now you can kind of get a breadth of opinion before you even go in and talk to somebody who's a professional, kind of tell whether they're uh, spinning yarn at you or not and whether they're taking you down the primrose path of, of high hourlies. What it made me realize is there's not too many people out there that are just sharing information and are willing to talk to you without punching the clock and are willing to just give you a level of education so you can make intelligent decisions. A lot of times they're telling you what to do. They don't even tell you why they're doing it. It's got to be frustrating for people. It was frustrating for me. So I kind of went on a crusade ever since then. That's been 25 years of making sure that I didn't do that and that I worked with folks more on a kind of, hey, let's let's align our interests. Let's take away the hourlies. Let's take away, you know, kind of the excessive billing component of some of these practices. And let's make it like, hey, I want you to reach out. Let me give you every incentive in the world that we can do planning together so that we can make your position better. And if I do a good job, I know you're going to stick with me and we're going to build up, you know, a great practice and voila, fast forward here, 20 some years, and we have 500 professionals here, uh, or staff here at Anderson, uh, we do, you know, over 10,000 tax returns a year for investors and high income folks, a lot of doctors, a lot of dentists, a lot of higher income consultants. And uh, that's kind of our bread and butter It's just working with people so that they can get a handle on what what their options are so they can decide whether something makes sense for them. And also give them options for tax relief that they might not otherwise have been uh, aware of. No, it's a interesting interesting story, and, and man, it's always fascinating how people get get to where they're they're getting to. So, mm-hmm. with um, tax strategies in mind, I think 
one of the things that as an attorney you could speak to a little bit is malpractice and malpractice lawsuits and and things of of that nature from all my reading and understanding you know typically and it depends on the state but of course 401ks are always a great place for people to sock away money in retirement mm -hmm. um, so that can help protect in most cases against malpractice lawsuits and those sorts of things mm -hmm. outside of of that toby or maybe you want to push back on that as maybe that's not a good place they'll protect against malpractice lawsuits. What are some of your thoughts? So, so here's what I would say first off, is that you're entering into a profession that comes with some inherent risks. And no, it's not fair that there are those out there that will accuse you of something for monetary gain. They'll suggest that you did something wrong or that you fell below the standard of care. And they're saying it's nothing personal. But what it is, is it's the ability for them to transfer some of your wealth into their pocket. And what you want to make sure of as a physician doesn't matter where you practice, you know, there's certain states that are worse than others, but it's the, the same principles apply. It's just minimize the target that's on your back and make sure that you're giving them something to go away. And when I say giving them something, that means carry good insurance and then make sure that a lawsuit, let's say that you don't agree or that it, they're so outlandish in their request that they're trying to get to your personal realm, make sure that you have good e &O coverage and that you have an umbrella policy to cover your attorney's fees in the event you have to go to the mat on something. And the second side of this is making sure people don't think you're a rich doctor. Like I have very good colleagues that are in the insurance realm and, and it just drives them crazy when, when, when they, you get into a car accident. And the first thing the person says is, by the way, I'm a doctor. How can I help? You know, mm -hmm. they, they're in an accident with somebody and you let the other person know your doctor is almost bad enough. The insurance folks just say it's catastrophic. Like literally people target you. So it's not, you know, don't be a good human being, but hey, maybe keep it quiet. <laughs> and then in a public record, let's keep it quiet. Let's keep your name off of things. There's a, uh, an adage that we use, which is security through obscurity. And we're protecting ourselves by not making it obvious what we own. And so if you get into real estate investing, for example, I don't want your name sitting on that title of that property. I want to make sure that it's anonymous ownership. I want to make sure people can't see that you own substantial holdings. On the flip side, there are types of entities that somebody cannot take away from you. And when I say an entity, I'm talking about LLCs and trusts and things like that. But there's certain jurisdictions that you could use on a trust in the United States. You don't need to go offshore for this. Very economical, where... A, they can't see it, and B, even if they could see it, they can't take it from you. You mentioned something that's really important. When you say the 401k, there's something called ERISA protections if you have employees contributing to an ERISA, and you're contributing to an ERISA. It's just about as protecting money as it comes. In other words, somebody could get a judgment against you, and I'll use our, uh, you know, the kind of the, the sensational case of O.J. Simpson. If you're not familiar with O.J., he was not convicted criminally of taking his wife and, and her, um, Ron, I think it was Ron Goldman, taking his life, but he was found civilly responsible. So he has millions of dollars of judgments against him and they couldn't touch his NFL players union pension plan, nor could they take the equity he had in property that was protected under Homestead. So it's really important to know what items they can take and what items they cannot. Because believe it or not, 
when somebody knows, like that goes into the factor equation. Oh, if I'm going after doctors, you know, in this particular group, or if you work for a corporation and maybe you're an ER doc or something, most attorneys that that swim in those waters will know what's available and they'll already be making assumptions. And if there's pensions and 401ks and things like that, they already know it's going to be an uphill battle to get to those things. And so they're usually, unless you give them a reason not to, they're usually okay with the insurance. And that's kind of what you want to be at. You, you want to look at this no different than if a, you know, a tree branch fell on your house and damaged some shingles. You know, you're going through your practice. You try not to get emotional about it. These things happen. If you're a real estate investor, for example, you're going to have tenants that don't pay you or that, you know, mess up your property, destroy things. It's just, you know, you just have to factor it in. Hey, you know, I'm going to always keep a little bit of percentage of the money that comes in aside for these types of things. And yes, they happen. So as a, as a physician, it's going to happen. There's a good chance it's going to happen. Maybe it won't happen to you. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones, or maybe you're one of the unlucky ones that it happens to a few times. And you want to just be able to walk away on, you know, and, and continue on your journey without spending too much emotional energy on it. You know, as, as hard as that is, and, you know, you might say they're questioning my integrity or they've accused me. No, they're, they're, they're usually just trying to get money. Got it. So to, to sum up, be, uh, be careful when and if you get in an accident in terms of revealing who you are. Seth, definitely sock away stuff in ERISA type plans like a 401k because that'll help you um, make sure that you don't have uh, perhaps outside of your primary residence, you know, investment properties in uh, in the name of an LLC and not your name individually. Uh, does that pretty well sum up kind of some of yeah, some of the Yeah, David, I would, I would say one other thing, because even on your primary residence, you may not want your uh, your staff or your patients to show up on your doorstep. So I would actually say there, there's easy ways to keep your name off a title. And it's not as difficult as people think. There's a thing called a land trust, which is used for holding title. You, you might be aware of Sears Tower and the stories of how Disney World got started. You know, they would have anonymous ownership of real estate and they'd be buying it through an anonymous trustee that buys it. You can do the same thing to get your name off of a property. And the only reason I say this, because I've seen this enough where when you get targeted and if you have somebody, especially if you're in the mental field, like your mental health realm, you really don't want some people knowing where you live. And so there's easy ways to make sure that your name's not just hanging out there. And I've also had clients get targeted, uh, not from us, but usually coming in to try to solve the issue because of where they live. Believe it or not, I've actually had uh, you know, on more than one occasion, it'll be somebody saying, but you live in this neighborhood. We know you have money. Got it. Interesting. No, uh, that's that's all great advice. Thank you for that, Toby. Um, what uh, what about in terms of just generally taxes? Let's talk about taxes and, and tax issues right now. You know, what what do you make of the world today and uh, kind of our our split Congress? And of course, we're having a, another election year coming up here. We're recording this in late July of 2022, and Another few months down the road here, we'll be having a uh, non-presidential election year. So should be interesting. What do you make of the, the tax world today? Well, it got kind of turned on its head during the recession. We had a whole bunch of tax incentives that were built in, some uh, that were done under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act 2017 prior to the, re or I said recession, but I meant COVID, the pandemic. 
during the pandemic, you had the CARES Act, you had a, reconcil a reconciliation bill that was pretty extreme. And there was a lot of things that were put in place to give you incentives to engage in certain types of activity. Uh, a few of those were also in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, including bonus depreciation and where you get 100% bonus depreciation under a section of the code uh, on items that are have a usable life of less than 20 years. Uh, some of those are, are slated to go away next year or start to get reduced. So it'll be interesting to see how much Congress takes up some of those expirations and pushes them out uh, because they're they're so popular. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But but what we know for certain is that your tax situation is going to get a little bit worse because of those things that are phasing out. And because of some of the strategies that were employed in the last three or four years, uh, things like that they had carry back in 2020, it wasn't renewed. So, you know, so you couldn't do things post a tax liability occurrence for the last couple of years when you could have done it, you know, in, in, in 2020, in 2019 and things like that. Like you, you had some things that were there that now are gone and it'll be interesting to see if they come back, but a lot of them are on the chopping block. Uh, you had phase out of the, uh, what they call qualified opportunity zones. There's, there's not much of a deferral period anymore. There's not much of a reduction in basis. If you know what these things are, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's a flip side to this. And uh, Dave, this is what's really interesting is the tax brackets are usually indexed for inflation. Mm -hmm. And as we know, inflation is much higher than they're saying it is because of the way they're calculating the numbers. And we actually, we went through two changes of how they calculate the CPI. But what we know is that the purchasing power of your dollar is getting much less. It's being reduced faster than they're saying inflation is rising. Like if I use the 1980 calculation for CPI, we're closer to 16% inflation. They're saying, you know, right now it's, it's, it's either 9.1 or 8.7. It's, you know, it's fluctuating in that area. It's probably twice that. But your tax bracket isn't keeping up, which means that you're going to end up having some wage inflation. You're going to start making more, but they're going to tax it more you end up in the higher brackets. Hmm. I'll be interested to see how people react to that because wages are not keeping up with inflation, but the tax brackets are definitely not keeping up with inflation, which means the more you make, the more they take, you're getting into higher brackets much faster than your predecessors. Well, I, I believe the, the big thing, which besides everything you mentioned that's going to be happening is we had... A, we're going to have a sunsetting of the temporary lower tax brackets, aren't we? As well as the difference in the standard deduction, because didn't that increase a few years back? So I believe those, you are correct, but I believe we're still three years out on that. Yeah, it's it's coming though. It'll be it here. It's coming. It, it, like there's things that are set to that have sunsets that are they kick down the path. Everything from estate brackets, the the. Uh, state taxes and all that some of these things are going to come back unless congress takes action so uh, the good news is they're well aware and they're negotiating these things the bad news is they're well aware and they're negotiating these things right congress is always trying to find a way that they can spend more money and get more money out of us i will there's a real interesting fact right now and that is that the people that are getting audited the most are being scrutinized the most from the irs 
it's not physicians, it's not rich folks. It's about five to one uh, on its head of the extreme poor. It's people that are taking the earned income tax credit or below $25,000 a year. They're getting audited five times, it's 500% higher than people making over a million bucks or basically all other categories together. Mm -hmm. Last year, there was about 13,000 audits of individuals making over a million dollars. It's not high. Like when I say that number, understand that there's a lot of people in that category, millions of people. And here we have just a handful. It's not lost on the IRS that they don't have the staffing or the horsepower, nor do they really want to pick fights with, uh, with CPAs and attorneys, which is every doctor is going to have one, right? If you're not going to go into your audit by yourself, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to get good representation. You know, that's just smart. You know, you wouldn't operate on yourself and you certainly shouldn't go in and do an audit on your own. And as a, as a matter of course, that's exactly what happens is people get a, get a professional. The IRS just isn't staffed for it. So, you know, you're going to hear more and more about the understaffing of the IRS or the inefficiencies, and then we have to do something about it because it's, it really is leading to some people taking some aggressive stances. And uh, there's some promoters out there with some questionable motives. You know, they're always sitting there trying to come up with some sort of tax relief. And then there's guys like me who look at it and go, oh, my God, stop doing that, please. You're going to get your client arrested. Uh, but, you know, we see more of that. The, the higher the tax rate goes, the bigger the, the money that can be saved. And you see some people doing some, some odd things coupled with the IRS's inability to really efficiently uh, police it. It'll be uh, it's going to be a wild ride the next two years. And now let's take a moment for a quick commercial break. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Locum Story. Have you ever considered a different way of practicing medicine? Whether you are burned out, need a change of pace, or are looking to supplement your income, Locum Tenants might be a solution for you. If you're considering Locum Tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, Locum Story has the answers you need. It is packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians just like you. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information where you'll find all kinds of super handy tools that let you see Locum's trends for your specialty. Be able to compare it with different Locum's agencies and there's even a quiz to help decide if Locum's is right for you. The Locum Story blog also features content and perspectives from actual Locum's physicians who have firsthand Locum's experience. LocumStory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about Locum. So everyone, make sure to check out LocumStory.com. It will, it will be an interesting environment that, that we're in. I mean, gosh, we still still haven't tackled um, Social Security and Medicare and restructuring that. I've talked about on this podcast that I suspect, you know, the right answer is doing a bit of everything, but, you know, mm -hmm. they're probably going to wait till the last minute to <laughs> make a change. So uh, there, there's a lot of issues for everyone to juggle and consider. And But knowing, hey, we are where we are now. Who knows where we're going to be another year or two from now in the tax code? So with what we know today, Toby, you know, what we certainly talk a lot about 401ks, we've talked about cash balance plans on this podcast. W what are some strategies outside of those 
um, kind of uh, basic things that um, people should be aware of and think about once they are making a good deal of money? Yeah, so I'll, I'll put it into kind of two categories. You have your people that are on the way up and the people that are there, right? The people that are growing their 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 salaries and the people that are kind of about as high as they really want to be. Like they realize that, wow, wages get hit really hard from a tax standpoint. It's not just, you know, you get hit with the ordinary income, but you also have to pay old age disability and survivors and Medicare. And then there's a surcharge on top of things. And if I have investment income, there's a net investment income tax. You get over that 250,000 mark and things get a little bit bleak for you. So there's kind of those two categories. And, 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 and when I'm on the, when, when you're coming up, the 401ks are perfect. You know, that's perfectly acceptable to put some money aside. What I would suggest is that you learn to live off of 70% of your take home and make sure that you're either attacking your student debt uh, with, with part of it. I, I actually use 70, 30. And then of that 30% that you put aside, 10% goes to giving, 10% goes to paying down debt, and 10% goes to investments. You can, you know, move those around if you're not a big giver or you don't want to. Obviously, it's, it's up to you, but the the rule there is to do your best to live off of 70% of what you're taking home and make sure that you are consistently investing. And that can be tax advantaged by putting it in a 401k. Nothing wrong with that. As you get uh, a larger salary, you start making more money in, in a more diverse way. You might want to be looking at, you said, cash balance plan, which are kind of these defined benefit where we can put hundreds of thousands of dollars a year away instead of, you know, 60 some thousand or 50 some thousand as, as a 401k. So you can start unlocking bigger chunks of money. We have, we have clients putting over $700,000 a year into some of those plans. And uh, it's just a matter of making sure that you're aware of the discrimination rules if you have employees. The other thing that people do that when they kind of get into the high income tax brackets is they either look at their spouse and say, hey, could you do something that could give us some tax relief, like real estate professional, unlocking some of the uh, passive losses that you might get through investments, even syndications, and make them deductible against your wages. That can be done. It's a section of the code 469 that allows you to do it. And there's some rules, but people sometimes go that route. Let's actually break that down a little bit. I think that'd be interesting to talk about. So um, just to, to rehash. So what you're saying is sometimes certainly doctors outside of the 401ks, they'll invest into real estate of some sort, whether rentals or maybe they've gotten involved in a syndication or they're, they're buying um, a surgery center or who knows, what, whatever it could be. And so you're saying that the doctor's primary thing, of course, is being a physician. They're not a real estate investor. And so they're not, in a lot of cases, there's depreciation, which might create a taxable loss, mm -hmm. but they're not able to write off all of the loss because they're not a real estate professional. Am I following so far? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we would say that they can't write it off because it's passive. Rental real estate is considered a passive activity. You invest in a small business, the pizza shop down the road, and you don't work in the business. You're just a money person. Your accountant's going to tell you that's passive. And you can't take passive losses and write them off against your wages or your other income. Unless, yeah, yeah. that's where you say the unless 
there's a, an exception that applies. And, you know, we just, real estate professional is one of those exceptions. And so if the spouse becomes a real estate professional, like what, what are some of those criteria that people should be thinking about? Like what makes a real estate professional <laughs> by so, the tax standard? Right. So it's a two-pronged test, real easy, is, is it, do you, do you materially participate in a real estate trade or business? And when I say you, if you're, if you're a married couple, one of you has to qualify. Uh, and, and then do you spend at least half your time in that activity? So if you're a professional, half your time in that activity and more than 750 hours. So all one spouse has to do is be in a real estate trader business and real estate trader business is actually pretty broad. It could be wholesaling. It could be flipping. It could be a real estate agent. It could be construction. It could be development. There's a, you know, it could be running an Airbnb. It could be managing properties. It doesn't even have to be your stuff. As long as you're a 5% or greater owner in the company, you get to count whatever time it is. So let's say that you have a spouse and that spouse is managing some real estate for you. Fantastic. As long as they hit 750 hours and it's more than half of their professional time. So, you know, so if I'll give you a great example, Dave, because I had uh, two doctors that were married and they were in a really high tax bracket. And what we realized is with, without all they had to do is have one spouse that ended up being the wife who ended up reducing her hours at the hospital and go and she went to part-time and their net income take-home pay jumped way up because all of a sudden they could use their real estate and they were, they were investing pretty aggressively into real estate. They could use those losses against their, uh, their salary. And what it did was the losses were, you know, the way that losses work, it's not that you're losing money. It's that we are taking the property and taking a big tax write-off in year one, two, three, whatever it is, and we're accelerating it. There's something called cost segregation and accelerating depreciation, where I can write off about a third of a building in its first year. So these guys are going out and they're investing and they're, they're leveraging their money and levering into multifamily or into commercial or into warehouses or into single families, but they're leveraging into these assets. And, and the wife basically managed them kind of on her side so that she could hit her hours and that she was spending more on the real estate side than the than her doctoring side. And all it did was unlocked all these massive amounts of depreciation that they were entitled to. And it really reduced, I think in one year we saved over $185,000. Wow. And it's pretty consistent year over year. And so the $185,000 tax savings was more than she gave up by going from, she was working, you know, 35 hours previously. And I think she dropped down to maybe 15 hours a week. I mean, she, she cut her time pretty much in half, but she made it to where she was spending the majority of her time on the real estate. And they're literally their take-home went up and they were just flabbergasted. It's one of those things where you look at it and they go, wait a second, I mean, I'm working my katush off, but if I reduced it, I was actually able to make more money. And you're like, yes, actually, but it's going with your eyes open. This is something that you, you've got to be choosing to do. So they were able to do it. 
when I, I have to imagine that the IRS, you know, in, in auditing something like this, I mean, they, they could probably tell your hours as a physician, but reality is, I mean, they're not going to be following you to see what you're doing every day, right, in terms of your real estate stuff. So you, you have to be able to prove it, you know, having websites, having having the real estate itself, you know, I don't know. They're prob probably not going to ask for your cell phone records, but. Um, Actually, you can. So this is what's really interesting is you're supposed to document your time, but there's cases. One case jumps out at me where it was a gal where she just kind of kept her her log. She used, a, I would just say use MyLiQ. That's an easy one. It's kind of a GPS thing, but it tells you when when you went places and how long and where and all that. But she recreated her records and they said, yeah, she's credible. So all you got to do is don't be a greedy pig and don't don't lie. You'll be OK. Just be honest. And so if you cut back your hours, that's easy to see. Right. And then if you're on real estate, you just say, you know, if you keep a calendar, that's the easiest. But if you're ever asked for it, don't lie. Just make sure that, you're, you know, you're not going back and trying to reinvent days that that may that may conflict with vacations. That's actually what happened in one case is these people submitted all these hours and then the court looked at it compared to where they were and like they gave it their whole schedule and they could see that they were out of the country and, and they were talking about doing repairs on a property and that they were physically there. And so the court says, you're lying. We don't find you credible. We're, we're, we're throwing out all of your, your timekeeping. So just as long as you're being honest, you'll be fine. And the chances of you being audited are about half of a percent like you know you might get audited once every what would that be i don't even know how many years once every 200 years or yeah. <laughs> so it's just not very, like i would not be worried about it just you use a calendar use your iphone use whatever your, your smartphone and uh use an app like a mile iq and you'll be fine interesting well, that's good. All right. So we thought we really broke that down and got into that. And you were about to say something else before I interrupted you and got deeper into that. What, what was your your other thing besides? Uh, oh, this is this is going to blow some people's minds, but we have a lot of doctors doing this. When I say a lot, I'm talking like, you know, dozens. Their income is really high. And what's really interesting is that if you buy something that's a short term rental like Airbnb or VRBO and your average stay is seven days or less. The IRS does not consider that a rental activity. They consider that an active trader business, which means the losses on that property can be taken in your first year. Like you can accelerate, just like if you bought equipment in your practice, hey, I bought an x-ray machine, it was X number of dollars, I can write it all off in year one, even though I financed it. You could buy a property and you could accelerate the depreciation on that property Let's say that I bought a half a million dollar Airbnb, four units or something like that. And I put it into service as an Airbnb and I manage it because you'd have to materially participate. But let's just say that you were you were actively participating in that, that business. That half a million dollars might be worth a $120,000 to $150,000 deduction to you in year one, even though you financed it. So you just kind of look at that and say, how much would that be worth to me? from a tax perspective. So let's just say I had a $100,000 deduction in year one that I could use against my wages. And I'm making $400,000 a year. It's coming out of like in some, some of you guys would be 40%. If it's higher, some of you guys are closer to 50%. You might say, well, that $100,000 deduction is worth 50 grand. 
that's more money that I got than what I had to put as a down payment in some cases, right? So it almost creates a situation where you're constantly looking for new investments. And then those things will appreciate. You can borrow against them and never pay tax and just grow your whole net worth. And that's a fantastic place to be. But we just found that doctors have a huge appetite for it. But like we said, the tax incentives start to go down next year. Like this is the last year for 100% bonus depreciation. Then it goes to 80%. I think it does that for a couple of years, then to 60%, unless Congress pushes it back up. Fascinating. So Airbnb in particular, uh, rentals are better tax-wise than a long-term rental kind of a thing. Yeah, for a doctor, it certainly is. If, if, you, if you can't qualify as a real estate professional or a spouse can't qualify as a real estate professional, then you may be looking at it going, hey, this might be the way for me because it's, it's just a business. I could literally buy a piece of property on December 1st, put it into service, rent it out a couple of times, four or five days, whatever it is, maybe just weekends, three days, and take a massive tax deduction against my W-2. As long as, I'm the, as long as I meet something called material participation, I get to take a massive deduction. And there's a lot of folks in the medical community, at least our clients, especially if they're over half a million dollars, they have such a huge incentive because every dollar of deduction is worth so much to them. It's like, hey, I'm getting a 50 cents on the dollar. So if they can write off 200,000, that's $100,000 in their pocket. And so they're, they're starting to calculate that into when they're purchasing properties. And they don't always keep them as Airbnbs. They just do that the first year so they can take the deduction and then they turn it into a long-term rental. So we've had clients that did that just for a period of weeks and they get that huge deduction in the, in the year that they purchase it. Very cool. Well, we, uh, we don't have all day, Toby, and, and uh, want to, of course, respect your time. Any other you know, major thoughts? I'm sure we could go on for hours, but any major things you, you want to bring to us that uh, might be good for folks to think about? I would, I would leave you with two thoughts. And that is a lot of times you go to an accountant and they say, hey, you're just a high income person and you can't do anything. And that's just not true. There's a ton of things you could do. I, I could throw things at you. You could do uh, uh, conservation easements, for example. A lot of you guys would actually benefit from conservation easement. Your accountant reads oh, but they're being attacked by the IRS. There's a bunch of scammers out there doing conservation easements that are being attacked by the IRS, but it's still codified and you're allowed to do it and it's a huge benefit to you. It's just, you can't be a scammer or greedy about it. You gotta follow the rules and there's really good folks that do that, but then you have the yahoos out there making a mess. You could do that. There's other things like giving uh, and giving is one of those areas for physicians that I would suggest that you spend some time. And I'm not talking about giving to third-party organizations. You could create an organization, a charity for yourself and take massive deductions by funding it and create a legacy for your family that you didn't even realize you could do. It's actually a fantastic estate plan for high net income people, high net worth people. And there's, so, there's just a ton of these little tricks and tools out there that you can use. And the problem is, is, most practitioners have never been high net worth. They don't invest and they're unaware. They have never been in your shoes. I'm a guy, like my partner and I, we own over 300 pieces of property together. This is what we do day in and day out. And I'm like, there are nuances 
And unless you've been in those shoes, like I really think a lot of these folks are not qualified to be advising doctors in the first place or high net worth people. Because I'm like, you need to kind of have been there, done that, have that t-shirt and understand the pain that comes. Like, you know, nobody feels sorry for you if you make $600,000 and you have to stroke a check for 170 of it. Right. You know, like, but you're rich. And you're like, nobody understands that pain and that that cash had to come from somewhere and that you may not even have seen that cash. It may be in an investment. It may be in your practice. It may have already been spent. You know, you don't even know, but you have this income hitting you. And it's like, my God, until you've written a, a, you know, a seven figure check or a six figure check at the end of the year to pay the taxes, they don't understand that pain. And so they oftentimes are like, yeah, hey, you know, you make a lot of money, you pay a lot of tax. No, that is not true. There's always something you can do, always something you do. And the only question is, is the juice worth the squeeze on some of it? Absolutely. No, I think that that makes complete sense. I'm with you. And Toby, I think that you brought up so many different things we could spend time on, but uh, I think people are just going to have to reach out to you if they have more questions. So if folks have more questions about some of these strategies, maybe they want to grab a copy of your book and talk to you more. What's what's the best way for folks to reach out to you? Dave, I would say the easiest thing for anybody to do is just Google my name, Toby Mathis. Go to my YouTube channel. You'll see that uh, Infinity Investing was the number one book on Amazon on a few different occasions and financial services. But also there's my, my firm. This is what we do. We're a teaching firm plenty of free information. We do something called Tax Tuesday, every other Tuesday, completely free. You can ask any tax question you want. People say, is it really free? It's absolutely free. I meant what I said in the very beginning when I said that I was really frustrated when I got into this profession because people would play hide the ball. We will teach you the things that are available. If it's a great fit and you want to work and say, hey, I want to hire you guys, that's great. We are just, it, we have a ton of business because of the way we operate but it's not a necessity. If you want to learn this stuff, go to my YouTube channel, share it with your professional. That works too. Uh, come on to Tax Tuesday, ask your question. That works. If, if there's never a dollar exchange between us, it does not matter to me. The way I look at it is there's an investor community out there and there's people going out there and working really hard for their money. And I really enjoy helping people keep more of it. And that's, that's kind of it. It's really that simple. Well, I love it, Toby. Thank you so much for all the, the wonderful information. We'll make sure to touch base with you. And um, any, any other final thoughts you want to leave us with? That's it. Just go out there and work hard and don't be dismayed that the taxes are a necessity, but uh, you certainly don't have to pay more than your fair share. I love it. Paying, paying our fair share is good, but don't, don't do more than you have to. Be real patriotic. <laughs> you don't need to leave them a tip, Dave. <laughs> all right my friends well that wraps up another episode of the freedom formula for physicians podcast this is your host dave deniston have any questions thoughts comments please feel free to reach out to me dave at drfreedompodcast.com and remember remember to slash your debt slash your taxes and live a liberated lifestyle Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice 
with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I am making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. It may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much, and have a good one. Bye-bye.